The Guardian. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, the all-in-one platform that makes creating a professional website for your business, personal brand or portfolio so easy it's newsworthy. Go to squarespace.com and use the offer Guardian to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to Media Talk. I'm John Plunkett. Now, before we get started this week, we have some news for you. And that is that after eight glorious years, Media Talk is coming to an end. There will be occasional treats from the Media Guardian team, and the best way to get them will be through this feed. So if you're listening on iTunes or through a podcast app, please stay subscribed. Our last episode will be in two weeks, so there's still a couple of shows left in us yet. We just wanted you to know first. And now, on with the show. Hello and welcome to the radio industry's most glittering night of the year. It's the Radio Academy Awards 2014, almost live from London's Grosvenor House Hotel. We speak to some of the night's big winners, including Frank Skinner, Greg James, Radio 2 controller Bob Shenham. Plus, we reflect on the night's events with the Observer's Miranda Sawyer. And we talk to the man who's done so much to organise tonight, Mr John Myers. This is Media Talk from The Guardian. To start this week, we talk to Radio 1's Greg James. It's not long since this man was picking up a student radio award. Now he has won the Radio Academy Award for Best Entertainment Programme. Let's hear from the man himself. It's the most fun job in the world, the most amazing job, and it's largely irrelevant to the majority of the people who listen that I won an award. But um, you work hard at something, and it's lovely that the industry you work in just go, that was good, well done. And I, and I think that's, and I, that's lovely. I can't really believe that, that it worked. <laughs> that's what I think it is, because I started at student radio and hospital radio and stuff, and I just did stuff, and I'm like, oh, that makes me laugh, and I, I like that, and I think that's entertaining, but you, uh, you hope other people like it, and uh, it seems that some people do, so I'm uh, uh, speechless, I really am. And you mentioned there's student radio, but it's, it's quite a journey from you were a student radio award winner, then you got spotted by, by Radio 1, to, to winning a, a Radio Academy Award, and I guess it's been quite a short journey in a number of years, but in other senses, probably a very long one. Tell us about that. It's felt ages, but also if you look at it in terms of calendars and the calendar year, it's only been seven, nearly eight years since I started at Radio 1. I was 21 when I started, I'm now 28. And uh, they've let me sort of grow up on air, I suppose, and that's been really important. And there were times when I thought I I couldn't do it, and there were times when I thought, I I don't know if I'm going to progress here. I wasn't sure. You just don't know. And suddenly you need a bit of confidence, and I got some confidence from a good producer and you know good figures every now and then and you know good just feedback from people when you see it meet in the street or whatever so you get confidence from all sorts of places and you and uh, I'm really thankful to Radio 1 and for letting me just do my thing they were ne- they never pressurized me they never said right you're going to be the next big thing we want 5 years from now when you're on drive time they, they never said that and I think that would have been really scary if they had and you were given the Drive Time show, and that was uh, a key part of the control of Ben Cooper's efforts to, to find a younger audience. How is, how is Radio 1 faring in that very tricky battle, that balance between keeping a big audience yeah. but getting a young audience? Well, I just do my best. I do what I think is good, and I do things that I think will appeal to, to I, don't know, I suppose, to anyone, really. I mean, Radio 1 is mainstream. That's the thing, and it, and it is. And um, Yes, we need to get the average age down all that stuff but day to day I can't be sat there going no, what will appeal to 11 year olds I, I, you can't do that so I suppose you make yourself appealing to them in you know in with Twitter world and you know you do YouTube videos and go on certain 
shows or whatever it might be. But at the end of it, you've got to do creative things that are interesting and different and and maybe things that a 15-year-old wouldn't normally tune into. And we do a stupid game called The Mayor of Where, which is where we get a mayor on the phone and we have to guess where he's from. And that's not particularly cool and it's not particularly um, what you think a 12-year-old might like, but what is a 12-year-old? A 12-year-old will like silly stuff if it's funny. They, they, you know, when I was 12, I liked The Simpsons, but I'd also like Blackadder and I'd also watch Vicar of Dibley and I'd know what Faulty Towers was. I don't think it's very difficult and it's very dangerous actually just to go, this is a 12 year old and they only like One Direction and Justin Bieber. I don't, I don't think that's true. I think you need to be, a, be an appealing person and if they sort of relate to you in whatever way it is, whether they, they're nerdy and you're nerdy or you're bad with girls and they're bad with girls or you like a certain band and they do too, I think that's the most important thing is that you are doing stuff that real people can, uh, can relate to and that's, I think, what Radio 1 let me do. Greg James, Radio Academy Award winner. Thank you very much. That sounds good. Can you say that again? <laughs> sounds even better when Chris Evans says it. Radio Academy Award winner. Thanks, John. Thank you. I'm here with Frank Skinner and Emily Dean. Uh, fresh winners, Frank. What was your award again? Tell us. We won the Best Speech Programme. Which took you by surprise, by all accounts. Well, yeah. I, I, we, we host a music show, which was the first thing. Uh, I guess you know your links are getting a bit self-indulgent when you win Best Speech Programme. But I'm, I'm, I am absolutely super proud. But I've never really won anything before when I didn't expect to win. So it's great. It's a great feeling. And you won, you won a Sony once before, didn't you? Is that right? And you, you made a gag about, I forget the exact, but you said something like, you know, TV guys don't necessarily want to go into radio or something like that. Well, I had said in my autobiography that if you ever hear me saying I'm passionate about radio, it means my career is in ruins. But um, now I am passionate about radio, so I just have to live with it. But this was a shocker tonight. So that was best entertainment program, which made sense. But, you know, we're up against Nick Clegg. <laughs> Emily, what's it like working with this, with this man? Um, it's, it's phenomenal. I have to say that. No, it is. He's amazing. He's brilliant. And he's fantastically generous as well, which is quite rare sometimes in the world of comedy. But I'm just so shocked we won. I didn't wear Spanx either. <laughs> That's all I could think when I walked up. I don't have my Spanx on. <laughs> and since you've done the radio show, Frank, we've seen a lot more of you on TV. So did it have that effect on your career, you know, without getting too forensic about it or, you know, on the psychiatrist chair? But... It's very hard to tell that. I think it is the thing that I've done where I am most me. Because when you're on air live for three hours, you, you, you know, it's not like... On a telly show, you still have a feeling of performance about you, but I think you so relax into it, especially that you're working with friends. There's no audience there, so I just assume everything is absolutely storming. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's, uh, it's probably relaxed me a bit more, and it's probably made me um, bolder about topic matter because uh, we talk about all sorts on the show. You know, we have a, an A.E. Houseman alarm. If anyone mentions the poet A.E. Houseman, it goes off. There's not much of that on commercial radio. <laughs> and where do you go next? You're doing the tour, of course, uh, and there's more TV to come and call. Um, I just finished recording a, a history uh, panel show for Radio 4 called The Rest is History, which is um, basically me finding out about history. So I'm with Kate Williams, the historian. We have two guests on. And I say what I know about, for example, Joan of Arc is that she was burnt at the stake. 
and then we discuss what else there might be true about and then we find out the facts. But that was a joy to do and I think went really, really well. And is it the first thing you've chaired for Channel 4, the first show you fronted? Uh, for Radio 4, I should say, sorry. I did a two-hander with Catherine Parkinson, which we played a couple who had a different argument every week in a thing called Don't Start. So, uh, yeah, I am, I am passionate about radio. I'm stuck with it. <laughs> On that note, Frank Skinner, thank you very much. Cheers, thank you. And the judge said that this station is setting the standard in growth and creative excellence. From breakfast to overnight, daytime to specialist. Sounds like a scene on WA. <laughs> it has an editorial range and depth which is remarkable. And its reach is unsurpassed. BBC Radio 2! Radio 2 there, winning UK Station of the Year. I caught up with its controller, Bob Shannon, backstage. Can you guess who's playing in the background? Could it be the Kaiser Chiefs? Yes, it can. I hope in the last few years we've also added a kind of an element of ambition in, in some of the areas that actually were reflected by nominations tonight. You know, we were in the drama category, we were in the comedy category, we were in categories for speech features, music features, as well as the traditional ones. So I hope we've pushed that breadth and distinctiveness of Radio 2 even further, uh, building, as you rightly say, on a legacy of, of Jim Moyer and Leslie Douglas's Radio 2. But there have been two areas of criticism. One is the not doing enough, or perhaps some people perceive you're doing less for older listeners. And the second is the, the lack of a, a, a full-time female weekday DJ. Well, you know, I mean, the thing about the female DJ is we, we've tried very consciously and deliberately to make sure that we've attracted to Radio 2 some really top female broadcasters. Uh, you know, that daytime lineup is is breaking all records. Every single one of our presenters has achieved a record reach on more than one occasion. Our audience loves them, and we need to listen to our audience. But at the same time, since I arrived at Radio 2, I've brought in about a dozen new female presenters who have taken an incredibly important role on Radio 2 in weekly shows and in depping. And it means that when we move forward, we've got an excellent pool of people from whom to choose, so that when we need to make decisions about who succeeds people for whatever reason, we've got the broadest possible field of people to choose from. And I'm, I'm, I'm really proud of, of, of some of the successes we've had. You know, Claire Balding's been a brilliant success. Diane Louise Jordan, doing our early Sunday morning religious programme, is an absolute hidden gem in our schedule. Zoe Ball, Sarah Cox has been a phenomenon. Joe Wiley has slipped perfectly into Radio 2. Moira Stewart's just launched a new Sunday evening programme. Claire Teal, a new live big band show on Sunday night. So we've got lots and lots of female broadcasters, and that's really, really important. That diversity and that range is really important. But it's that mainstream sort of voice that people are looking for, that mainstream slot. Uh, when a vacancy does arise, it will have to be a, a woman, won't it? You'll, you, you won't better put anyone else there. When a vacancy arises, it'll be the best possible person. But the great thing is, we will have a great range of people from whom to choose. And on your other point about the older listeners, I, you know, I think it's really important to point out, we now have more people over the age of 65 listening to Radio 2 than we've ever had. Ergo, we're not doing too badly. Okay, and where next, Bob? Where next for Radio 2? I'd like to continue to grow our reach, but only as long as we are maintaining our distinctiveness. As long as we're being nominated for dramas that Tom Stoppard's decided to write for us about Dark Side, as long as we're being nominated for comedy, as long as we're doing religious broadcasting on Sunday morning to two and a half million people, as long as Graham Norton's top entertainment show is reaching four million people, 
then I'm happy that the quality of what we're doing is so good that the reach can grow. I say to our team, you know, we want that virtuous circle. We want to keep growing. We want to keep pushing our reach and we want to keep pushing the distinctiveness of our offer at the same time. That's what we were told to do by the Trust. That's what we've been doing. I don't think there's a radio station on the planet like Radio 2. I was chatting to a man from Commercial Radio who said, uh, we've been telling Radio 2 to get more distinctive for a long time now, but every time we do it, it gets bigger. So what we're going to do is tell them to stop getting more distinctive. I think there's a clue in that. I really do. Okay, Bob Shannon, thanks very much. So we come to the most uh, glamorous uh, area at the uh, Radio Academy Awards. Uh, it's a production, it says backstage, but in fact it's just a corridor. But the good news is we are joined by Sam and Amy of the uh, Radio Academy Award-winning uh, GM106 Breakfast Show. Congratulations. Thank you very much. And this is as glamorous as I always hoped and imagined. Can I just say what an incredibly sexual voice he has? That's can we get you on our show? What a, That's gorgeous. I, I trade him for you I, uh, you, should do. you should do, you should do. Consider that a booking. I, I can pay for my own travel. Uh, so you, were, you guys are up against some heavy hitters. You had uh, Chris Evans, Christian O'Connell. What's the secret? How, how comes you guys won the day? I think when they read out that it was an honest show, I think that was the thing that kind of struck a chord with me because we do tend to talk about our lives and our families and our friends a lot without asking a lot of the time. So I think we are very honest. We've, we've si- kind of realised in the last couple of years that the more we're more personal about our lives and a lot more honest and just put it all out there, that the better we seem to be. And we seem to do a lot better when we do that. So it may be at their expense, but it's working for us. They, they can get angry, but you know. They, no, luckily for me, my co-presenter, Amy, lives uh, her life like it's not on the radio. Uh, she misbehaves all the time. So that just gives us content continuously. And it gives me an opportunity to be very rude about her. But I, I think on a more serious note as well, like I, we will spend time with each other's families, as in we did a life swap feature on the show about a year ago where we genuinely swapped lives Sam moved into my house and recently I babysat his one-year-old daughter Nancy and it wasn't that wasn't a set-up feature it was genuinely because we know each other he said can you actually babysit Nancy before we go out tonight uh, he had a meeting and things like that you will naturally get content from so I like to think that's how it works and what, that it comes across. What did he feed my daughter? <laughs> the thing is the beauty with things like that is that it did she's go. She's a baby what did he feed her? She is one no she's, she's one, a one-year-old baby what did he feed her? One, boiling water. No come on boiling don't be water. silly he's being silly but. No you did no, feed her boiling said, water. You said put the wa- sterilised water in for 20 seconds but in my head for some reason it was two minutes yeah. I took it out it was boiling it was clearly wrong I mixed it up and thought this is boiling water it's not ready for a baby called a lot of people and it did turn a bit disastrous but we got there in the end but you do trust me to look after your children so I never again love never again no but at least you gave me the opportunity (laughs) moving on Uh, what about what about the commercial radio story there's lots of talk about you know syndication and rebranding and and local radio brands going but what's your take on that because clearly that's not the case with you guys you're you know I don't want to say it but you're the well I'll say once more the radio academy award-winning breakfast show for our breakfast show to be syndicated across the country. That's no problem. <laughs> I think the good thing about our station is that we do work with people who, oh, I don't want this to sound cheesy, but they're very yes people. So any idea we have, like Sam said at the beginning of the year, we want to do, I met a guy on holiday. He knows someone who owns a ski chalet. We want to do our show from a ski chalet. Instead of going, obviously, no, that's not going to happen. They go, okay, give me the details. I'll give them a call. They are absolute yes people. We're doing our show from a boat later in the year. They just say yes to everything and they do, like our producer, 
Sam loves squash. It bores us all. We hate talking about it. But for his birthday, our producer, as a surprise, transformed our office into a squash court. And it's the little things like that that they just seem to go that extra mile. But it never seems to be things that are... It's not that much effort, but it's, it makes such a huge difference to the show. The, tr- the truth is as well is that our team around us, Dave Tanner, Paul Eilif and Mike Newman, are, are national-level producers and directors. And, and although we might be the voices at the front of it, they're the people who make it happen behind the scene. So without them, it, would, it wouldn't have happened. And where do you guys want to end up? We'd ideally like to bring back the big breakfast. We think it needs to make a comeback. No, because they prefer friends. They like friends. They said that would never happen because your bum's too big and they like friends. This is what I have to deal with. When your eyelashes are falling off, so let's go and sort that out. Oh, well, my thanks to Sam, Amy, and to the Kurzer Chiefs, who perhaps you can hear in the background. Thanks both. Congratulations. Lovely voice. You have a lovely... Very handsome You're as well. Very handsome. I'll be tweeting you on Monday. I'm here with special award winner Nick Ferrari. Nick, it's been a hell of a year or 18 months with Cool Click and then Ask Boris. What did the award mean to you? Uh, it meant more actually to the teams that are behind it. And it meant quite a lot to the confidence that, uh, actually I'm going to say Nick Clegg because it is, it is Clegg, however unpopular he might be, who does it every single week unless he's on holiday or in Afghanistan or whatever. It's great to have Boris, but he normally does it about every other or every third week. And I've seen Clegg take the most horrific phone calls. He's had members tear up their cards, their membership cards. He's had all sorts of personal questions, ugly questions, difficult questions. So, look, I received it, but it was for a lot of people behind me, which I know is very trite, but it's true. And how do you strike the balance between getting this fabulous access to people like Clegg and and Boris Johnson, but sort of avoid the trap of becoming the presenter's friend, you know, and sort of becoming part of the establishment with him and making sure that you really do kind of give, you know, give them a going over on behalf of the listeners? That's absolutely the key question because it is the listeners. And I would never pretend to be as great as some of those Rottweiler interviews on TV or radio. They're absolutely first class. I just put myself in the position of the, uh, the, the young woman who's driving to the station to catch the train to go to work or the, the taxi driver who's coming home after a night shift or the boss who's being driven into work. I try and think of the questions that they would ask, and that is the key. Really, I, I'm honestly not there to grandstand. I am there to try and get questions. And if, of course, it turns out that Boris doesn't know a tube fare or that Nick Clegg has bought himself a onesie. Well, look, those are just added bonuses. I didn't know they were coming my way. And are there lessons to be learned for the party leader TV debates uh, next year, if, if they happen from what you're doing on LBC? Oh, look, LBC would love to do that. I think the lesson probably is to be learned in, in what is celebrity politics or something. Let's just stop and think and look up and down the country. Who are the politicians who are getting a lot of press at the moment? Obviously, Boris Johnson. You look at someone like Alex Salmond, you look at Nigel Farage. The cult of the celebrity politician is here for a while. I'm not saying it's here forever, but if you look at all three of them, they're doing pretty well. I think the grey bloke who is, or woman, I'm so sorry, who's sort of submerged into his or her policy lines, I don't know that that will fly much longer. And that's good news for LBC, you know, so meet Major back in the early 90s might not have been quite the hit. Cool Cleggies. Wouldn't that have been funny, meet Major talking to him about his underpants? No, look, we'll welcome everybody. I mean, today we're talking at the Radio Academy Awards. This morning I had David Cameron, and actually he turned out to be bloody good fun. I don't know whether you heard it, but I ended up talking to him about how he manages to beat Nick Clegg at tennis. And I now know the secret as to how he manages to beat Nick Clegg at tennis every time they play, and it drives Clegg mad. So this is Monday. In three days' time, I shall share the secret with Nick Clegg of why he continually loses. Now, this is... So, of course, we talked about the terrible story in Nigeria. Of course, we talked about Europe. 
course we talked about Gary Barlow, but just try and bit of put a bit of humanity because the listeners they want to be entertained as well as informed. And what about OBC? It went nationwide this year for the first time on DAB Radio. Where does it go next? Oh wow, where does it go next? Well, it's, it has to consolidate what it's done. This is the biggest move ever that LBC's done. It was 40 years old a few months ago, the back end of last year. It's the oldest commercial radio station in the whole of the land. It literally is a bit older than Capital Radio. It's now got newish managers that have put a lot of money towards it. Look, to use a military expression, we must have what we hold. We have gained a lot, but we've got now to, got to hold that and this week, uh, Wednesday, we get our first listening set of figures for how we've done nationally. Everybody's waiting. Hey, Nick Ferrari, thank you very much. John, thank you. I'm joined now by the Observer's Miranda Sawyer to give us a snap verdict on all 34 awards. <laughs> well, maybe not all 34, but Miranda, what, what do you reckon? What, what, what struck you tonight? Um, I was struck by certain things. I, was, I think it's quite interesting that Zane Lowe won um, Music Radio Broadcaster of the Year because he's obviously, he's like kind of part of the furniture, I suppose, really. And when he first came along at Radio 1 all those years ago, he won year after year after year. And he's kind of been, not ignored, but slightly in the background over the last few years. And for him to win, I think is just, you know, it's quite interesting that he won. I thought it was pretty rubbish that Lauren Laverne wasn't nominated for that uh, category. There's um, Marianne Hobbs was nominated, but the rest are all, you know, great... Um, Broadcasters, but men, which I thought was. I'm always slightly disappointed by that, but that's just life, I suppose. And the UK Station of the Year went to Radio 2, which beat Radio 4 and TalkSport. So I guess probably no surprises there for a station that's got, you know, the best part of 16 million listeners. But, you know, is it a worthy winner? Does quantity mean quality? It's very interesting. I have a big problem with Radio 2, but that is just simply my personality. Radio 2 is not for me at all. And I think that if you're at all of a kind of alternative. Uh, bent, you know, if your if your taste is not Hollywood blockbusters and it's not um, the greatest hits of ABBA, you're always going to have a problem with Radio 2. And I have a problem with Radio 2. It's incredibly slick. It's really brilliantly done, but it's just not my kind of thing. And I still do. And I hate. I feel like I'm just sounding like a rancid old feminist, you know. But I still do have a problem that you know from. After Vanessa Feltz, until the evening, every single show is presented by a man. Now, I know that they have a difficulty with that. You can't just sack somebody simply for have, you know, having a penis. It's slightly unfair, really. But um, I do think that uh, they have a slight problem with that. And when somebody goes, I don't know who will go next, let's say uh, Steve Wright, if they don't replace him with a woman, they've got a kind of problem, really. Bob Shannon also oversees Six Music, which a couple of years ago won Station of the Year, I think. But this year, there was not a single gold award for any digital-only station, which, uh, I don't know, it, it surprised me, and it doesn't feel very forward-looking, necessarily. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, because um, I wrote about this in my radio column that I, I felt like, you know, in an era of podcasts and, and, and you know, digital life, really, it, seemed, it can seem quite old-fashioned. And given that the Radio uh, Academy Awards have changed and that they're not kind of sponsored by Sony anymore, I thought that they could kind of shaken them up a little bit. They have a, a thing called kind of Creative Innovation Awards, but actually that would... would be a list of hashtags. Yeah, and also it's actually, you know, I mean, one of the things that I think it was Tech Award, I can't remember, one, one of those kind of supposedly innovative things of award was won by um, a lot of people getting together in Lincoln and you know, kind of singing along to a track, which isn't that innovative, really. And I kind of worry a little bit that, you know, with amazing podcasts coming over from America and, you know, you know, the BBC does amazing work, but the problem the BBC has is most of the things that it, ha it makes, it's great documentaries, are only up for a week. And you, I think that there's just a kind of, there's a room for acknowledgement, a different kind of radio 
of the podcasts that are kind of going on now that there seems to be no room for. And yet these, these things have massive, massive listenerships. And at the risk of entirely putting you on the spot, what's the, uh, what, what the Miranda Sawyer <laughs> Radio Academy Gold Award go to from the last 12 months of broadcasting? that is hard I do think it's quite sad that Lauren Laverne wasn't uh, nominated I think that she does her job very well because she wears her knowledge very lightly you don't feel like she's forcing it down your throat or anything like that I think that she has very interesting guests and it's quite hard to make a particularly consistent I'm just laughing now because I actually got bumped into by somebody do you think he was drunk <laughs> um, uh, it's hard to make consistent music programmes I just think it's quite difficult and a lot of people are kind of under acknowledgement in that way really so I thought it was a shame that she wasn't really nominated I think that certain other presenters have really come on I was very pleased to see that Jemmy Kearney won an award because I think when she first came on to One Extra she joined as, a, as um, Trevor Nelson's co-host on The Breakfast Show and she was kind of really brilliant but kind of annoying you know because she was so mad and she's managed to tone her presenting style down and she's a really warm presenter and I, I was very glad that she won for you know one of her documentaries that was really great you know a lot of the stuff I listen to is not here you know it's in America you know if you I like free economics I like 99% invisible you know all those kind of things that I think are very interesting and I don't really I can't really work out how they're going to be acknowledged here because they're not British but there are you know some other podcasts that maybe could have been investigated and worked. Yeah, the Radio Academy Awards, they, they used to have a podcast category, but yeah, obviously they're old hats. Yeah, I, think, I do think the kind of creative innovation was meant to be that thing, but um, you know, it's weird to me that you have something like a speech broadcast of the year and there are no, there is no one from who does a podcast, you know, not even someone like, uh, you know, Richard Herring did a really brilliant interview with Stephen Fry about his depression, you know, and which, which had loads and loads of, uh, of news to, you know, generated about that, and that was just—he's completely unacknowledged as an interviewer or anything like that. And it's a great program, and I just found those kind of things a bit sad, really. I was pleased to see LBC win award. I have to say, there are plenty of people who don't like Nick Ferrari, and I, you know, understand why you don't like Nick Ferrari. But I think he's an amazing broadcaster. I've been in—in in the if you go to places like LBC, the way they produce their shows is so different from the BBC. There is no one there. There is Nick, and there is a very young producer. And then there are maybe two if he's lucky, and there will be a news person who comes in who walks around the building and does news for somewhere else as well, and a sports person. And it is just them. It's really, really hard to do. And for them to go national and to win a special award for kind of Paul Clegg and Asperger, so I thought that was really great because it just showed that if you bother to really try and innovate, you do really well. And Paul Clegg has generated more headlines than pretty much any programme this year, really. Miranda Sawyer, thank you very much. I'm now with John Myers, who is many things, but for tonight, most specifically, is the chairman of the Radio Academy Awards. John, uh, congratulations. How was your night? It was a very good night. I thought the uh, Kaiser Chiefs were stunning. Arthur Bow was marvellous. The live performances were great, but I thought it was the variety of awards this evening. I think commercial radio had a very good night. So how many years have you been doing this gig? I've done three years, which I think is long enough for anyone to chair the awards. And whoever takes over from you has got the, uh, the onerous task of finding someone to succeed, Chris Evans, who's um, said tonight he's stepping down after six years. Yeah, six years. I mean, I think uh, Chris has done tremendously well. I think he's probably the best live host of a live event. You start off with 1,300 people, and as the night progresses, more and more don't win anything. So by the end of the night, you end up with 1,250 really ticked off people who haven't won anything. So to control a room for that long, 
with the way he does it, and he does it with such speed as well. So it's uh, he's going to be a very hard act to follow, but it's Chris Evans. So, And what does this night mean for the radio industry? It's not, not too often that the whole of the BBC and commercial radio get together in one room. No, it's the only time of the year when, no matter who you work for, no matter where you might be, you come together to win an award that's judged by your peers. And it's not just judged by people in commercial radio or the BBC. And you ask anyone, this is the award that anybody wants to win because it's judged right across the whole of the ball game. So um, I think that uh, the awards will continue. Uh, we had some great sponsors tonight and it's already looking good for uh, a big sponsor next year. And what was your radio highlight? Where would, the, uh, where would the Myers Radio Academy Award go to? The highlight to me, especially in Rajar Week, which is out this week, uh, Radio 2 has had a fantastic year. I don't think anyone in the room said it wasn't Radio 2's year. But to see, you know, Capital getting breakfast show of the year, I felt really sorry uh, for Nick Ferrari, who is an amazing talent, but uh, walked away, you know, as uh, a second or as uh, bronze this year. Has any man ever had more nominations but received fewer gold awards than Nick Ferrari? Uh, if you bear in mind that these awards were for last year, not for this year, and LBC has really kicked in from January this year, we're now in May, and I actually think next year LBC will probably have an amazing year at the awards. When you, Johnny, you'll be watching at your table as a disinterested, well, an interested observer. Anyway. Yes, if, if I get invited, I might come down as a journalist. <laughs> John Myers, thanks very much. And that's it for this week's Media Talk. I'm off to the Grosvenor House bar with producer Matt to find out which one of us is going to buy the other one a bottle of extravagantly priced beer. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week for our penultimate show. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com audio. Support for this Guardian podcast comes from Squarespace, providing creative tools that help you bring your ideas to life. Squarespace offers free domain names, customizable designs, drag-and-drop tools, and 24-7 supports. Squarespace also offers seamless e-commerce solutions for you or your small business. Every design automatically includes a unique mobile experience that matches the overall style of your website, so your content will look brilliant on any device. Start your free trial today. No credit card required. As a Guardian podcast listener, you'll get 10% off your new account by using the offer code GUARDIAN.